0: Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country, and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the My Peace Corps Story Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me over on Instagram at My Peace Corps Story, on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story, and as always, over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com. If you enjoy this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review for the show more than wanting that awesome five-star review. I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. So write me a little ditty about what you think about the podcast, what you're enjoying, and what you would like to see in the future. On this week's episode, I am pleased to have former Ambassador Kathleen Stevens. She served as the United States Ambassador to South Korea. But Her first time in South Korea was as a Peace Corps volunteer from 1975 to 1977. That was all where it started. But you may be thinking, Peace Corps in South Korea? South Korea is one of the most developed nations on the planet. Well, that was not the case in the 70s when she served. We talk about how her service impacted her, her career, and much more. For those interested in the Peace Corps, international development, and diplomacy, this is an episode that will not disappoint. Without further ado, this is the My Peace Corps Story Podcast.
1: This is this is this is, this is, this
0: is, this is my My
1: Peace Corps Peace Corps. My Peace, Corps. My Peace Corps story. 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 Uh, I'm Kathleen Stevens. This is my Peace Corps Story. Hey Ambassador <laughs> Kathleen Stevens. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Now, should
0: I address you as ambassador?
1: No, you don't need to. I'm not an ambassador anymore. You can call me Kathy.
0: Okay, Kathy. Well, what a pleasure to talk to you about your Peace Corps service and everything that's happened since then, your career trajectory. And you were a volunteer in South Korea, which probably most people listening to this podcast don't know that we ever had volunteers in South Korea. When they think of South Korea they think of mega cities, K pop, all this culture and why would we ever have Peace Corps volunteers in South Korea? So I'm very interested to hear all about your
1: service, what exactly you were doing. So I'm I'm excited. Oh well thank you. It's uh it's always a pleasure for me to reflect on Korea's journey, my journey, I guess one of the—you're uh, making me feel very old, but uh, one of the things that's kind of nice about getting older is, uh, especially in a place like Korea, I mean, to to really have been able to see within my own experience, my own lifetime in such a vivid way, this extraordinary journey, which is not finished, mm-hmm. uh, but— um, uh, yeah, it's something that obviously I was really, as any Peace Corps experience does, I think, it shaped my life in some really profound ways. And uh, I've circled back to it time and again, uh, it being Korea, thinking mm-hmm. about U.S.-Korea relations in particular, but uh, what I call, for lack of anything else, Korea's journey.
0: Mm-hmm. And if the Internet uh, told me the truth, you studied East Asian studies. So you were interested in Asia When you applied to the Peace Corps, was that the goal, to to go to Asia, or did you want to go just anywhere you refer. Yeah, anywhere. I
1: mean, it was to go to Asia. So, so just to back up a little bit, right? I uh, uh, I I was in Korea as a Peace Corps volunteer from mm-hmm. 1975 until 1977. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned earlier that probably most people are not even aware. Think about uh, Peace Corps being in South Korea, but in fact, uh, it opened a program there in 1966, and it was there until 1981. Uh, some of this I've learned long after I – obviously, well, I mean, I have, after I was a volunteer and, long, and and as I returned to Korea as ambassador and many people asked me about the Peace Corps in Korea. So I learned a lot about it. So I can give you a lot of facts and figures. But, I mean, if you want to focus on, on my own experience, um, uh, yeah, I, uh, uh, I had gotten interested in uh, China in particular and uh, East Asia while I was in college. Uh, I was going to college in the 1970s when the – uh, Vietnam War was raging. Uh, I was also in college at a time when Nixon had gone to China uh, mm-hmm. to uh, begin to open relations with a country, the People's Republic of China, with whom we had not had relations for several decades. And I had a great professor in college who uh, kind of just opened me up to the broader world of uh, thinking about Asia and thinking about the world. I grew up in Arizona. I'd never been east, I was like say, of the Mississippi River. And actually, before I went into the Peace Corps, I spent a year abroad. Uh, mm-hmm. Which was a little more unusual in those days. Yeah. And what was really unusual is I didn't go to Europe; I went to Hong Kong. So Hong Kong for me, a girl from Arizona, was kind of like we talk about even now. I mean, young people from the heartland going to New York. Well, I went to Hong Kong <laughs> and uh, spent about a year and a half there, mm-hmm. and it really kind of gave me the international bug. That was that was my entree. And uh, but I came back from Hong Kong, got my degree. Thought, what now? We're having <laughs> we were in a recession. Uh, thought about grad school. Mm, went up to Montana, where I had a brother who was uh, living and working as a forester, and uh, he had just been accepted to be in the Peace Corps in Nepal. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the first time I had never thought about the Peace Corps. And for various reasons, uh, he didn't go, uh, but it gave me the idea. So I just applied to the Peace Corps, and I said, yes, I'd like to go to Asia. But even I, I didn't think about Korea as a Peace Corps country. I, I thought about Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, when I got the invitation to go to Korea it kind of made sense. Uh, I mean, in kind of an intellectual way, I was interested in the kind of greater kind of Chinese cultural sphere, which historically Mm -hmm. included, you know, Korea uh, in terms of its influence and relationships. And and it was a place where I could learn a new language where you could use Chinese characters, although I found out Knowing Chinese characters, I didn't know them very well. It's kinda of like maybe knowing Latin and think that's going that's going to help you in English. It mm-hmm. kinda does and kinda doesn't.
0: <laughs> uh, as a student of Latin, that analogy works very, very well for
1: me. <laughs> you can sound very smart at times, and at yes. the other times you wouldn't be able to, you know, get a glass of milk. So. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> well, when you got your invitation to serve in Korea, what did your family think? Because at the at the time it was 22 years after the end of the Korean War, mm. that you were going to a country, did that play into any of your perceptions or your family's perceptions of
1: where you were going? Well, you know, I suppose to some extent it did. I mean, I remember the other thing that was happening, and I, it was so long ago in 1975, as I then got the invitation and was getting ready to uh, uh, to go to Korea. Uh And again, it seems like at least things moved a little more slowly in those days because you know I got my information through snail mail and mm-hmm. occasionally an eight hundred number if I could reach somebody in Washington to find out uh what was what was being planned but uh in the uh in the spring of nineteen seventy five of course came uh the the complete uh u uh, s withdrawal from Vietnam and the reunification of Vietnam under North Vietnamese rule. Mm-hmm. Um, this had a big impact in Korea in terms of their own sense of insecurity. I didn't know all about all of that at that time, but I'm just trying to kind of set the political mood in the mm-hmm. United States of what I remember being really important that year as I was getting ready to go. I think my own family, um, you know, I, I, since I'd gone to Hong Kong and I'd come back, I think they were kind of resigned to the fact that I was going to go off someplace else. And mm-hmm. uh, I uh, uh, I was raised in a very sort of you know, independent <laughs> Arizona tradition, I suppose. So... Uh, in a way that now I have to say as a parent myself is probably a little bit hard to imagine. I think they pretty much uh, thought, well, you know, it's a program that's kind of more organized. I mean she's not going off to – which I, I also done a bit of a backpack around. So mm-hmm. uh, so go for it. But in terms of Korea itself um, – You know, in those days, again, the impressions of South Korea and the United States uh, uh, were shaped by a a television program called MASH, which, Mm -hmm. again, I think the generation of of people I hope are listening to this probably don't even know about unless you do. I know MASH. Okay.
0: MASH is excellent. It's a great program. I've watched reruns, of course, but still phenomenal. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of drove, I I learned later, South Koreans crazy at the time because it wasn't the image of their country. They thought they were very image conscious. Mm -hmm. Um, There were some scandals out Actually, in the seventies in Washington, which we knew about dimly, having to do with South Korean efforts at influence buying on Capitol Hill, they were very worried about uh, uh, abandonment. Actually, and forgive me for always getting to policy, but I'm I'm obviously colored by the years and years afterwards when I have looked at U.S. Korea relations. But looking back, I realize all those things were kind of part of how we saw mm-hmm. each other. So, yeah, I think I think people just thought of Korea if they thought about it at all as a place where you know we had troops still um you know vietnam had fallen if you like mm-hmm. uh in korea there was some insecurity and that was being played out sometimes in some some pretty counterproductive things they were trying to do in the united states but you know, there wasn't a Korean community here, and certainly not where I lived. Uh, and even in a place like LA, it's probably hard to imagine, but you know, there, there was very small Korean community. So I don't think people had any particular pr- impression at all, other than that, yeah, there was a Korean War and, uh, then there was an armistice.
0: Mm-hmm. I had an
1: uncle who had fought in it. Uh, I, you know, I met many people actually who had, uh, that was part of that generation, but they didn't talk about it very much. It had been kind of, you know, the Korean War used to be called the Forgotten mm-hmm. War. So, uh, to the extent that, you know, my father and uncles and others of their generation talked about their military service. They talked about World War II. They didn't talk very much about about Korea.
0: Okay. And you've been accepted to go serve in Korea. What exactly was your assignment? Were you an education volunteer, teacher? What were you going to right. be doing in Korea?
1: I was an education volunteer. I was uh, in the 35th uh, uh, group, K-35 uh, and uh, there were about, about 30-odd of us recruited for that program. Uh, it was designed to be a teacher training program, Mm-hmm. Uh, the Koreans had uh, uh, were very enthusiastic about education. That hasn't changed. Uh, we're really trying to strengthen their education, especially their English education. And so it was kind of it's, it's the low hanging fruit, right, for those of us who maybe don't have liberal arts graduates who don't have many other skills um, to uh, to go and to teach in um, in Korean schools. So I was assigned to, as we all were, to a middle school program. Uh, which means uh, junior high school students. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of us, almost all of us, were assigned to places outside of major cities, and all of us outside of Seoul. This is a little different from earlier Peace Corps programs because they had placed uh, uh, Peace Corps volunteers in the universities, in the major cities. Uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, mostly actually political, there was at that time and continued to be sufficient sort of student unrest and the political situation, which is which, you know was more or less martial law, mm-hmm. uh, was such that uh, Peace Corps volunteers kept doing what Peace Corps volunteers aren't supposed to do right then or now, getting involved in politics, mm-hmm. and uh, so the university assignment sort of stopped. And it turned out that in, in Korean high schools, all Korean students do a study for an exam. And some foreigner who's some young foreigner whose only qualification is being a native speaker of English turns out not to be very good at teaching to the exam. Mm-hmm. So we would delightfully were put in these, uh, these, these schools that uh, were filled uh, – all, all of them, that, uh, almost all of them were uh, uh, single-sex schools. So I was in a boys' middle school. Uh, there was a post-Korean war baby boom. So lots and lots and lots of kids. 70 kids to a class, 70 little boys, uh, one textbook, and we would co-teach with our Korean teachers and try to introduce uh, a methodology that was uh, aimed at actually learning a little bit of the language, which Mm -hmm. is a fairly new notion in those days rather than just studying for the exam.
0: And for your training were you still of the the generation of Peace Corps where you did training outside of the host country?
1: Alas, no. When we were very envious of our—in Korean, we call them our sunbae, our, the, our predecessors, who trained in Bradboro, Vermont, in Hilo, <laughs> Hawaii. We thought that all sounded pretty great. Mm-hmm. But, no, we, um, we all—our group met up in San Francisco. We went to a U.S. military facility to get a lot of inoculations— and we all got a plane, and we flew to Seoul. And at that time, to get to Seoul, we, we flew to uh, from San Francisco to Hawaii. I remember one person on the plane in my group crying. She was from Massachusetts because we were only in Hawaii for about two hours, and she couldn't believe she'd flown all the way there and wasn't going to be able to actually experience Hawaii. We flew to Tokyo where we had to overnight uh, just to catch the next plane, and then we got on a plane to Seoul. And, of course, it was a different airport we landed at than the airport that a lot of people will know now. It's mm-hmm. a hub in... Um, uh, in Seoul, so uh, so we uh, we went to Seoul. We were two days in Seoul, where I remember we visited the American Embassy and went to a conference room. It's still the conference room at the American Embassy. That's one thing that hasn't changed in Seoul. It's one of the uh, the U.S. Embassy is one of the you know I would say most anachronistic and out of date buildings now in Korea. Uh, but in any event, we spent two days in Seoul, and then we went down to a provincial town for ten weeks of language training and uh, preparing for our assignments.
0: Mm-hmm. And was there anything that shocked you about Korea when you landed? You had studied Asia, you had an experience in Hong Kong. Did you have any preconceived notions of what you were getting into that were challenged in those initial yes, 10
1: I Yes, yeah, I absolutely did. I felt I wasn't the only one in my group with some prior experience in Asia. We had other people who'd studied Chinese in Taiwan or studied Japanese or you know other, other kinds of things. Um, I think we were all a little bit shocked. But speaking for myself, yeah, I, I had spent three months. I had spent three months backpacking in, in Southeast Asia. I had spent time in Taiwan. But, you know, we got we got to Seoul and we we all went into, yeah, this uh, – they were called Yoguan, which is the Korean word that said ryokan in, in Japanese. But mm-hmm. we're not thinking of some nice little place. It was pretty minimalist. Uh, it was very hot. We were there in the summer. There was no air conditioning. Anywhere, um, we slept on the floor, which was fine. Um, there was no indoor plumbing, um, you, and there was no hot water. So uh, the 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 toilets, even in the city at that time, sorry to be, but it's Peace Corps blog. You got mm-hmm. to talk about toilets, of course. Um, were holes in the ground. Yep. Um, the uh, the you know, water was was uh, hygiene was a big issue. You know, uh, water was not. You were not able to drink it, you would drink a hot barley tea. so yeah, I remember being extremely hot. It um, <laughs> sounds a little silly. Uh, English was not spoken anywhere, even in Seoul. Uh, but it was a city, it was a city, and it was but it was quite gray and grim, I would say. And when we got to the countryside where well, it was a town, it was a provincial town, where we then also stayed in these little Yoguan or sometimes with families, um, now I, I was surprised by the uh, the rigor and the kind of spartan nature of life. Um, you know, Korea, also, I think, and I'm think i a girl from Arizona. I'd never lived in a place with four seasons. I mean, it was hot then. It turned really cold in the winter, right? It's mm-hmm. like living in Chicago without air conditioning or heat, right? Um, or indoor plumbing. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, there was a, a physical discomfort to it, which surprised me. There was not Western food available. You know, uh, I mean, Korea obviously had been – had. a a big relationship with the United States and there were American troops in South Korea but we were allowed nowhere near them uh mm-hmm. and so they were not a real presence uh in our lives um and uh you know it, it had not been a colonial country so to be you know mm-hmm. it wasn't like we arrived and people thought oh this is what you know We lived as Koreans, which I think is true in many Peace Corps countries, but Mm -hmm. there wasn't a sense of a kind of an expat lifestyle. So it was very challenging. I mean, it was great, you know, but Mm -hmm. it was much more challenging than I thought it would be, both in a physical sense, but also, as I think many Peace Corps volunteers find, you know, even more challenging is the kind of cross-cultural challenge. And, uh, uh, you know, I I, I am um, and was (laughs) very tall, uh, and I have kind of big blonde hair. And uh, – but whatever you look like, I mean, you would walk down the street and you would hear continual comments in Korean, which more and more you grew to understand.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and this drove people crazy, including me. You know, you had – it was for most people that we met, certainly outside of Seoul, but even then in Seoul, and again, it's changed so much. We were the first foreigner they'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. So um, so that was wearing. That was wearing. Anyway, I'm going on here too much about all of it, But, yes, I would say it was very, very challenging. And, and then I would add to that that the work culture – I mean Koreans are something. To, you know, they have a very fierce work culture. And this is not one of, the, one of these places where you kind of walk in and say, you know, I come from an American heritage of hard work and, you know, sacrifice. I, I, I mean we were softies, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a toughness about it and a huge expectation of what we were expected to do. We found out that the way that uh, Peace Corps was translated into Korean, was pyeongwa Pongsa. so Pongsa is like service. But uh, uh, Koreans would say to me, well, Pongsao literally means like, you know, sacrifice until I die, you know. I mean the expectations <laughs> of what we were going to do. I think kind of overwhelmed our young Americans mm-hmm. sort of ideas of what this is going to be like. So it, Korea was at that time considered to be one of the toughest Korea uh, assignments uh, mm-hmm. and uh, had a very high termination rate uh, for health reasons. The language is very difficult and the expectations were very high.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: for those who stayed and made it through, whether it was, you know, whatever the balance was of, of, of satisfaction and, and, and frustration – uh, it had, as I think any Peace Corps experience does, but certainly Korea, just a huge, huge impact on all of us.
0: Mm-hmm. You do your training, then you go to a a village, a town. What was the size of the community that you were? I went working to a in? county seat. Okay. Um
1: So it was called a gun in Korea. So it was, you know, it's hard to kind of. Equate these because the infrastructure is so different, but I went to a, a, a the county seat of a county uh, that uh, you know. And in Korea, like in many countries, you kind of and I still in this way you, you don't really say it's how many miles; you say how long it takes to get there. Mm-hmm. It was about at that time. It was about a two and a half, three hour train ride, depending on the kind of train you took. So not very far. I mean, Korea is you know, Korea, Korea is not a huge country. It's mm-hmm. a very mountainous country. I mean, think West Virginia, mm-hmm. you know, or I think – are you from Kentucky? I am it? from Kentucky. Maybe parts of Kentucky. Yep. Lots and lots of just hills, not like mm-hmm. big America – you know, not like Denver where it's flat and then you have the the hills come up. Just continual hills. So if you flatten it all out. It's a pretty big country. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, at that time, there was very little infrastructure outside of – but actually a pretty good – I have to say quite, quite a good train system. That was part of the legacy of the Japanese period. Mm -hmm. Um, But obviously, much had been destroyed during the war. And although it was 20 years later, uh, yeah, once you got out to the countryside, very few paved roads, uh, and it took a long time to get anywhere. But in any event, I digress. Yes, I was in a county seat. Uh, There was one boys' middle school, one girls' middle school, one high school. Mm hmm. Uh, and then there were little little towns and villages around it. Uh, so my job in the first year, and this was this was the way our program was designed. After, as I'm sure in any Peace Corps country, after a lot of trial and error, uh, emphasis on the error, uh, the the program was I would spend one year at a home my home school this this mm-hmm. boys' middle school, uh, working with the English teachers there. Uh, and some time in teacher training workshops. In the second year, I would travel all around the province, as well as around the whole country to some extent, now with a year of experience, uh, you're doing, a professional now, right? Uh, yeah, do it. Training all the teachers in Korea, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of the, the teachers you trained actually. I mean, they were sadly they were English teachers, but sometimes the, mm-hmm. they really didn't have an English background. Yeah. For example, because of the Japanese colonial heritage, uh, some of the teachers, especially the older male teachers, had taught Japanese. Mm -hmm. And it was like, "Whoa, you know, you taught one foreign language, we're not teaching Japanese anymore, teach English. You can imagine it was a very difficult and discomforting thing for them to also have that exposed. They were the senior, you know, more uh, Mm -hmm. experienced teachers. But in fact, they had they didn't have the English language qual, uh, qualifications that a younger teacher maybe coming out of teacher training or college now did. So, so there was a lot of learning about you know in a very hierarchical society. True anywhere, but Korea especially, mm-hmm. you know, how to how to manage that and how to manage that as a young person uh, in a, a country where you know very Confucian, even what, what they call neo Confucian, which mm-hmm. means kind of hyper Confucian. Where the 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 markers of of age, gender, mm-hmm. education, all those things, um family uh matter so much.
0: Very, very interesting. And your your living situation, were you living with a family on your own, mm-hmm. near a family apartment? What was your house?
1: Yeah, I mean there were no apartments where I lived and there were no – I don't even think there were – there may have been – I mean a couple little like two-story structures, you mm-hmm. know, that uh, – in the town. But basically everything was, was kind of one story. No, I, I mean I lived – and I say that because anybody who's seen Korea now knows that, you know, it's it's just the land of, of skyscrapers everywhere mm-hmm. and not just in Seoul. But um, – uh, I, I, I had several different living situations and uh it it but I lived as many of us did in, in something that was called kind of a husk which means I mean we translate it as boarding house. Mm-hmm. So basically you'd rent a room. Um the room might be about six by eight perhaps. It would have a sort of a a really nifty sort of shiny floor on it because the heat came through the floor. It mm-hmm. came from this very low-grade coal that they would have put in there. That was the good news. The bad news is the coal put off carbon monoxide, right. so you had to kind of be careful about that. Um, it would have a little, usually like a maybe a – Six inches by 12 inches kind of little sliding you know, paper uh, window somewhere and then a kind of a sliding paper uh, door to come in and out onto a kind of a shiny wooden – it's called a madu sort of – everything you know, sitting on the floor. So there's no furniture or anything, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but a shiny – kind of a little porch type thing. Uh, but it would be a little room in the house. But even the idea of having a private room was not um, familiar to Koreans. So they would kind of say, why do you need your own room? Um, so, so most hostage cheap mine was the same way. There'd be a family living there mm-hmm. and then they would have rooms that they would rent out to someone who did want their own room or sometimes it was a couple, you know, uh, and the, usually those were teachers who were teaching in a different town or anyone, someone who needed to rent a room, but that's what you rented. But with, with the, uh, boarding house came usually three meals a day because remember they're really not. Many restaurants around mm-hmm. there's like you could get Chinese noodles usually, and, and like we had one Chinese noodle place in our but in our place, and we didn't have a cafeteria at the school, so you would get they'd serve you breakfast they would pack you a little lunch box for for lunch and then you'd have dinner when you got back and it was always rice and soup and kimchi and a couple of vegetables and maybe some kind of small fish for um for protein or a little bit of tofu. It all sounds really good now, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and it was good, and we all grew to love it. But, uh, uh, but it was very, very challenging for people at first to be faced with rice for uh, morning, noon, and night.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: although actually another interesting cultural thing was uh, Koreans at that time were trying to, and a lot of this is going on in North Korea now, so it's actually really similar. White rice was highly valued, but mm-hmm. they didn't produce enough of it. So you had to mix the rice uh, with other with other grains, again, that sounds kind of cool to us now, mm-hmm. uh, but Koreans seems, hated that. it seems very hip yeah, it's okay. very it seems very hip now. Yeah. I haven't put some beans in there, you yeah. know, but to that, that was like you know livestock food so mm-hmm. and in fact, one of our do- our jobs as teachers was uh, when it was lunchtime, you know the students you know, again, these seventy boys in the room they are all sit there because they'd sit in the same desks all day. The teachers moved around because, you know, a lot of kids to move around. So they'd sit there. They'd have, they'd bring their little lunch boxes. Um, mm-hmm. Again, the, the Japanese would be bento, but it's yep. called Toshidak. And they'd open them up, and we had to go around and inspect. And if they had, the richer kids, if they had pure white rice in their, um, their lunch box, they were punished uh, for breaking the edict. And two days a week, uh, no rice was served at all. Um, and you had to have some other kind of grain to conserve rice, but that actually takes me i know to something else which is a big challenge in the schools and especially in the in the boys schools in terms of for me and for everyone I think in the peace Corps in terms of cultural challenges and that is that uh, corporal punishment was uh, endemic and and brutal and uh, and there was usually one teacher it was often the uh, p e or the uh the anti communism teacher uh, uh, who was the uh the enforcer, and because uh, again, well, I mean, to be 70, 70 young boys in a in a classroom, you know, maintaining order can be difficult. Uh, but but infractions would lead to you know much more than paddlings. I mean, serious, very serious beatings, mm-hmm. uh, and of course that sort of once that practice is there, it does bring out a certain sadistic element to those who may have it. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the things that I think for. Peace Corps as a whole, we really struggled with, right? Because, you you know, as a Peace Corps volunteer, you always are coming up to, to you know, to what extent am I staying true to my own values and mm-hmm. to what extent am I being culturally sensitive? Um, and uh, and that was a big struggle, you know, right in front of us, literally right in front of us sometimes um, in, in the schools where we worked. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you try to confront that or did Peace Corps at the time give you any tools to confront that? Because teachers for us... Did have some education of trying to steer them away a little bit from that corporal punishment system right
1: I mean I think yes uh, volunteers would talk about it with staff would ca- try to come up with strategies um some some uh, uh volunteers actually moved if they were in a school where it was particularly uh difficult and 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 you know, where they had their own it dep- depended on their their relationship with the teachers and their principals and vice principals as well. I do think that maybe having volunteers in the schools overall kind of helped to modulate it a mm-hmm. little bit. And some, I felt like maybe that was the case in my school, but I also think realistically from my own experience and that of, and it wasn't too bad in the school where I was and but and to that of, um, I, and I, again, maybe, maybe people say, I say not too bad and people say, well, there's zero tolerance. There shouldn't be any. So mm-hmm. you already see the kind of judgment I'm making on that and others would have others. But I think in many cases... Uh, some of the worst abuses just ended up, sort of, went around. Just don't do it when you mm. know the Peace Corps volunteer is yeah. there. But I hope we had an impact over time, and and certainly, again, I'm not saying this is the Peace Corps at all. I mean, certainly now, I mean, in, in in South Korea, I mean, the the whole issue of 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 corporal punishment of is is whether it's in schools or in the military, where it was also also you know extremely harsh. Uh, or, in the jails and police stations is uh, i mean where we call it torture mm-hmm. um, is completely transformed and i mean that 's another story which is not my peace Corps story, but when I did become a a political officer in in Seoul uh, later in the in the 1980s as a young diplomat, uh, I think my experience of what of what you know, physical punishment was mm-hmm. uh, the role it played in in Korean life. Helped inform the way that I approached, uh, and I kind of advised uh, uh, at the embassy to approach these issues of, of, of torture mm-hmm. and and human rights that we were confronted with. And these are certainly issues that continue to be germane and in, uh, in, in North Korea.
0: Mm-hmm. And then outside being a teacher, Peace Corps, at least my service and yeah. everybody I've talked to, a lot of downtime. Yeah, how did you spend your downtime in your community?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I read a lot of books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I tried to study Korean. Um, I, uh, I, I got on buses and I went places. I mean, there was a, a quite a, again, this is a place where at this point, I mean, no private cars, mm-hmm. uh, but a pretty good, you know, kind of bus system and, and, and train system and Peace Corps volunteers all around this, this country. So, uh, and traveling around for these, these, uh, seminars that we would teach. And so, uh, uh, so, yeah, and it was a little bit lonely. I was the only foreigner in the town. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I have to say that I, I, you know, a lot of time on weekends, although we taught on Saturdays, too, and we were expected. So we didn't have a lot of downtime. Wow. So, but um, uh, we, uh, we would find excuses, right? Mm-hmm. And I, can I say we in our different towns to uh, uh, to travel or get together? And, and I have to say that, I mean, Korean, our Korean friends who are usually fellow teachers and others we met, sometimes, and, and our students as well. Um the Koreans love the outdoors. The mountains are really beautiful. So, uh there was a lot of reforestation going on. Uh but we go hiking a lot. They love to go to the beach, you know. We don't think of Korea I think as mm-hmm. as well. No now president trump does when he talks about the beach condos in north korea sorry i keep coming back to the present here but but actually you know i mean it, it is a peninsula there's a lot mm-hmm. of water uh mm-hmm. and uh and it's quite beautiful so uh, so mostly you travel around but uh yeah i uh i had a lot of downtime didn't have the didn't have the internet mm-hmm. <laughs> i wrote a lot of letters i think that's the other thing uh, you'll find as you talk to older volunteers, um, is that almost all of them uh, will now find maybe their parents or their you know, their loved ones, whoever it was, has a big stack of aerograms, you know. Mm -hmm. May not even know what aerograms are, right? Only
0: from this podcast. Right. That's how I know what they are.
1: Exactly. So, you know, you'd have this big stack. I mean, every country in the world had them as part of the International Postal Union or Mm -hmm. something, but, you know, very lightweight, little blue thing. But you could, you know, you could write a thousand words if you wrote small on these things, or maybe more, and you could write full letters, too. But these are, like, pre-stamped. So, you know, and as I was starting to say, I think you'll find older volunteers and I noticed my case too I mean I found when I went home and my parents they still had a whole box with maybe I don't know you know a hundred airgrams in them mm-hmm. uh, with incredible detail you know things I've completely forgotten I, uh, about daily life right mm-hmm. so um, so yeah that's that's kind of what we did I did taekwondo I was I was the only woman in the town to do taekwondo and mm-hmm. uh, uh, which is a Korean sport as you know mm-hmm Um, it was really fun. Uh, it was hard though, because not only was I a foreigner, but I was a woman. So, um, like the other young men in the, in the taekwondo class refused to spar with me because Mm -hmm. they found it just too bizarre. So I could only spar with, I wasn't very good at it, but I mean, I, you know, I was pretty well, I was pretty good. Um, with, with the instructor, you know, so it's a little awkward. I mean, Mm -hmm. there are those things, but that's a, that's a, gender thing as well
0: Mm -hmm. did you happen to continue your practice post peace corps service or that was that was the end of it
1: i didn't but i can show you a picture later i I saw my teacher again when i was back as Mm -hmm. ambassador uh uh and uh uh and he's he's still teaching and and that was lovely to see him uh no i didn't continue that but um but i did you know I did continue to hike and uh, I played a lot of tennis uh you know I mean sports were definitely a thing that uh, you could do and um mm-hmm. uh and that 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 helped but then uh, the other thing I did and this is is I stu- well, I pretended I you know I mean I I, I I told people I was studying for the Foreign Service exam because mm-hmm. uh, one thing it gives you standing in Korea is to say you're studying for an exam you know this is a country where then and now I mean people spend like literally five years uh, preparing mm-hmm. for a, what they call the Koshi the higher civil servant exam right? That's the old Confucian tradition so so uh, you know, if you're sitting in the uh, the way the way schools are set up in Korea or were set up in those days, as I said, students all stay in their classroom and there's a place called the teacher's room. And it's not the place where you go and you know, have your coffee, it's where you have a desk and you're all lined up with the vice principal at the front. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to be there from the before the vice principal gets there until he leaves. So that's why so that's like seven in the morning until maybe like eight or nine at night. And you know, no one has all that much to do and it's kinda of cold in there too. So you mm-hmm. bring in your books, you bring in but I just brought in whatever books and I said oh, oh, I'm, I'm studying for the, for the diplomatic exam, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, which covered pretty much anything since.
0: Which you did take. Which I didn't take. (laughs) Because in reading your bio, I was very surprised that you went from Peace Corps service and then a year later you were in the Foreign Service.
1: Yeah. So, so, uh, yeah, and I didn't even really know about the Foreign Service, but, um, Uh, It it does sound very sort of opportunistic, I suppose, (laughs) but uh, at that time, the foreign service exam, uh, I think it's a little bit different now, like everything, but it's given once a year. Uh, you know number two pencil and you know fill in the little things but uh, at, at, and if you're abroad is at the U.S. Embassy so so it was on a Saturday in December and I, I still remember I, I went with the vice principal and I asked permission to miss class on Saturday and actually part of Friday too so I could mm-hmm. go up and take the exam and I practice my Korean to say this you know and he, and he responded to me this totally Korean way he said I, are you prepared for it <laughs> you know are you going to pass it I said, well, you know, i said, say you, you you know you can only go if you're sure you're going to pass it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but yeah, I went up to take the the foreign service exam, and um, and I did pass it, and I and I had to you know uh, come back, and that took a you know a year or so to mm-hmm. actually come back and take the oral exam. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, on paper, with the passage of time, it all seems very smooth. But mm-hmm. I mean, I'd want to reassure any young people out there. It didn't feel that way at the time. I mean, I finished my Peace Corps service in 1977. I had no idea mm-hmm. uh, if I was going to get hired. I, you know, should I go to graduate school? What should I do? So there was all of that, and and a, a number of people in my in my group did stay on for a third year in the Peace Corps. Um, I did not stay on for a third year, but in my second year, the other thing I did is I I did start to work a bit on the training programs, and I would say it's, it's still kind of hard for me to admit it now, but I would say that that you know that that was another way I think I I I addressed the. Um, the loneliness of being there, you mm-hmm. know, and, and it was kind of lonely. I mean, obviously now I, 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 I appreciate as I did then um, the, the, yeah kind of purity of the experience of being in this small place mm-hmm. um and uh, and that's the most important part but uh but it's a hard thing to sustain uh, uh, through these kind of long winters mm-hmm. uh uh and uh being able to do things like uh, work on the training programs uh was very helpful
0: mm-hmm. We've told us a lot about your service. Do you have a particular story huh. that you found yourself maybe telling over and over again, or something that's very iconic or memorable? One of these memories that is just uh, fun for you to share.
1: Mm. Well, see, I've I've told you a couple of things, but they tend to be maybe a little bit more on the serious side. Um. I'd say one thing that was probably more striking about being in the Peace Corps in Korea as opposed probably to some other countries is is the very, very sharp differences in the gender roles and mm-hmm. how that played out in terms of kind of, well, what you were allowed to do. Maybe that's not so unusual. But in any event, in Korea, uh, I think that, that male and female volunteers had, had very different experiences. Mm-hmm. For example um, – drinking culture and going out was very much a part of what male volunteers did because that's mm-hmm. what Korean men did. And it was just expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, uh, young single women were expected not to go out at all. And indeed, really not to venture out by themselves anywhere. So, you know, some accommodations were obviously made or had to be made for for the fact that Amer- we, American women just weren't going to live that way but uh but and 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 i made lovely friends of of you know of all genders and uh and so on but uh uh, but always drove me a little bit crazy i have to say when when i would on the rare occasion when say all the teachers would be out on a picnic we'd like to take picnics so uh, all the teachers would go out on a picnic and uh and the men would bring out the uh the drink, uh, whether it was beer or something called makali or things are because of, you know, K- K-pop were probably known, soju and mm-hmm. different things. Didn't have all that variety then, but but certainly always something to drink. And in a show of great uh, uh, ma- uh, beneficence, I guess, would say, would you like something? Because women were never offered anything. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, yes, please. <laughs> and they, they would get off the beer and they would bring out a cup that was like – it would hold like a, a – uh, you know, some kind of soju or something mm-hmm. and literally pour like a quarter of an ounce.
0: <laughs> so you're getting less than a shot of, of less beer. than a
1: shot, less than a shot. And it was like a really big deal. They'd make a really big deal of it. So maybe that's not, that's not the most interesting story to tell, but uh, uh, okay, I
0: think it's very, it's very telling of, of the culture and I think volunteers still today deal with that a little bit, maybe yeah. a little bit less. And mm-hmm. we, we, sort of called it the the third sex. There was male, female, and then expat females. Yeah, they no, got, I think that's definitely true. They got to sort of weave yeah. in and out of, of both of them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I felt a little jealous because I couldn't do a lot of the things with the women exactly. that, that female volunteers could do. But they seemed to be able to, at least every now and then, have that little shut of no, beer. no. I
1: think, and, and actually, I, I would say even even more than you know, yeah, yeah, there are ways is even more than now and then, and maybe that's why I emphasize like like certain activities, like mm-hmm. you know, if you do taekwondo, even though there's or or you play tennis or you go hiking, um, and again, something like hiking is a little more neutral, mm-hmm. um, it, it does kind of open up, and and yeah, there's much more space uh, to interact very freely, and uh, yeah, yeah, no, so. So anyway, maybe—so so forget all that. Maybe I'll tell you—again, this, this is not really a story, but maybe this is an insight into Korean culture, which maybe you don't want. But uh, So in our language training, mm-hmm. we only had 10 weeks to, to, to learn the basics of what is considered to be, and I believe to be, for English speakers, the most or one of the most difficult languages in the world to speak well. It's, it's very hard. Um, But the Peace Corps had discovered um, something incredibly useful. And that was um, that there were kind of two things that we needed to do before we went out to our sites. I don't know if you still call them sites, Mm -hmm. but to our assignments. Um, And the first may seem really odd, and that is to to give a public speech in Korean Mm -hmm. without notes. So we all had to memorize these speeches uh, because Korea, this is what prepared me to be ambassador, you see. Uh, Korea is a very speech-giving, ceremonial kind of culture. So we, uh, we, we memorized these speeches, which were very simple, but basically said, you know, with all the honorifics to everybody, I'm glad mm-hmm. to be here and I'll do my best and so on. And I remember climbing up to the platform, uh, to give that speech uh, when I arrived at my school in september nineteen seventy five and these three thousand uh, uh, little well they weren 't so little, but junior high school boys all lined up in military fashion, essentially in military uniforms, they all mm-hmm. wore uniforms uh, with their teachers standing at attention while the while the uh, the the principal introduced me, and then getting up to give the speech and you know it was kind of this one, the classic thing with the microphone that 's going. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I realized that I was way up on this platform. I person, and I was I was wearing a, a dress that was probably several inches shorter than Korean women at that time wore. And, you know, so anyway, but I got up there and I gave this speech. And I could see all these these, these these students, these boys, standing at attention, and they, they all start giggling. And the teachers were walking up and down the, the line to the students, hitting them, you know, <laughs> to, to stand at attention, to stay in order. So so I, that was really painful for me because, and, and I, I, you know, I wanted to laugh or say stop or something. But anyway, I did it. But years later, when I went back as ambassador and had all these kind of, you know, down memory lane experiences, I talked to one of those students who'd been in that line and I and actually it was something like I said, Oh, I remember when I had to give that speech on the first day and and, Mm -hmm. you know in 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 Korean and it was so hard. I was and he said, he said, you were speaking in Korean? I said, we (laughs) thought that was English. (laughs) So so, but 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 the second part, so that's that's that story. But but the second part of what the Peace Corps, it was a great language program, said we needed to do in our ten weeks, is learn the answer to twenty questions. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is a little bit true in other countries, but Koreans then, a little bit less so now, bit, they will ask you what for us are the nosiest questions, mm-hmm. but they're always exactly the same questions. Yep. Right? So, and you can probably guess what some of them are, but they are, in addition to, you know, what's your name and whatnot, mm-hmm. how old are you? Mm-hmm. You know, what's your family composition? Mm-hmm. Are you married? Yep. Why aren't you married? <laughs> how much do you make? Mm-hmm. Right? And then was, what are your hobbies? Mm-hmm. Yeah there were there's there, there were 20 and if you had those you found you could carry on a conversation with anybody mm-hmm. right so so that's another lesson I kind of took into my diplomatic life although there are different questions in different countries and yeah mm-hmm. I found maybe as I I kind of rose in status too that people weren't so openly nosy right or they they mm-hmm. you know the life changed a little bit but those uh those 20 questions are – and then, of course, I found I became so Koreanized. I started asking uh, Koreans the same questions, which they liked. Mm-hmm. Except now when I meet Koreans, the society has changed and they look at me like, you're you nosy. know, I'm this – Yeah, well, a little bit like, yeah, you know, you're not really supposed to ask. I know people ask, ask people what their salaries are, although that's a little more acceptable in Korea. But, you know, mm-hmm. where is your hometown? You know, it used to be those the first question you asked Koreans, where is your hometown? Now I ask a Korean, where is your hometown? They all look at me like I'm crazy. Well, it's Seoul, of course we're all from Seoul. Yeah. You know, no, no. I mean, where are you? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right.
0: You left Peace Corps. You had passed the the foreign service exam. Did you think that you would ever end up back in Korea when when, when you were leaving or you, that, maybe that was your desire. You you wanted to yeah. come back. Yeah.
1: I mean, what well, I I so I entered the foreign service in 1978. I definitely wanted to go to I, uh, Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very interested in going to China, but we only normalized relations with China in 1978. I say only because it sounds like yesterday to me. I know it's you know a long time ago now. Um, but but yeah, I, I, and I, I did serve in China for two years, and then uh, and then I went to Korea. I had some Korean language, and uh, and it was actually pretty good by that time. Mm-hmm. So uh, so no, I did want to go to Korea, and I thought having the Korean language would be a boost because there weren't many people mm-hmm. other than former Peace Corps volunteers who who, who spoke it. Uh, but I had a I had a terrible time getting my assignment in Korea because I wanted to go as a political officer, and the ambassador there at that time said there'd never been a woman as a political officer. This is the American embassy, mm-hmm. and the Koreans would never accept it, and he wasn't going to take a woman as a political officer. So you know, I but but I went, and uh, because I. I think because of my Peace Corps experience, honestly, and because of my language foundation, which I built on by doing the State Department program, mm-hmm. um, because I did know kind of a little bit more about Korean life from the inside, uh, I turned out to be pretty effective at that job, which was following these extraordinary you know, political changes that were going on in Korea by the time I was back there in the 80s. Mm-hmm. All the things that I was told to avoid in the 70s, I could dive into them. Um so, yeah, I was very happy to do that. Uh, but then I left Korea. I was there six years at that time because if you do speak Korean in the State Department, there's not that many places you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much was happening. This was the period of street protests leading to direct elections, of the president, the Seoul Olympics, and lots and lots of drama with North Korea as well, of course. But I left in 89, and, and I didn't go back to Korea for another 16 or 17 years. And so coming back to be ambassador in Korea... Many years later, in two thousand eight, uh, uh, really is a, a kind of a full circle and something I, you know, I always felt throughout my foreign service career. The only place I actually really wanted to be ambassador was in Korea because mm-hmm. it was a place where I felt like one, I could make a difference. I could do something that, you know, I brought a certain, you know, uh, advantage to it, if you like. Mm-hmm. It took a long time to convince people of that, but I thought that I did. And and, and two, I, again, I, just, I was so affected by Korea's extraordinary journey. You know, I went to Korea in 1975 at a time when its GDP per capita, however you measure that, was less than North Korea's, was less than the Philippines, was less than most of the countries where Peace Corps had Peace Corps at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, you know, I went back at a time in the '80s when it 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 turned from essentially a a, a military authoritarian rule, uh to uh, a a democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh, and I went back as ambassador a time when, uh, it, uh, you know, again, I don't GDP per capita is not the best way, but where it was, you know, eleventh, twelfth largest economy in the world, mm-hmm. in the world. So yeah, it's uh. You imagine it's just it's, it's it created a lifetime of of stimulation and inspiration and reflection for me, and and the kind of lessons that I I drew then that I draw now from career are ones that really influenced I think my 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 diplomatic career uh, in other places, uh, as well as my thinking about about our own country and about our own role in the world and where where we can have some influence and where we have limits and 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 you know also the positive and the negatives of those and again i think those are probably uh very typical of mm-hmm. korean of 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 peace Corps experiences um you know i would feel because my korea my experience is korea that they the you know, in, in in korea and, and because i've been lucky enough to have now this cycle of over 40 years that it has, you know been in, i mean incredibly enriching to me um, but, uh, but I, I think I've been very lucky just to, to have been in a country that has been through this kind of transformation is, and it's still, and where there's still so much to do. Mm-hmm. Hey, a lot of my
0: listeners are current Peace Corps volunteers, are recently returned Peace Corps volunteers. And I know that a lot of them dream of being in the foreign service mm-hmm. and continuing their their service abroad in some capacity but a very different capacity do you have any words of wisdom for someone now starting out where you were back in 1978 yeah
1: yeah well i i mean i do think that that the the tradition of the Foreign Service, which I, I worry sometimes and again mm-hmm. in the same face is is, is is become a little bit diluted, but the tradition of of the foreign service is is uh, reflects or should reflect a lot of the values that I think reflect the Peace Corps that mm-hmm. you know you 're not going to have good policy you 're not going to have good results unless you have people who really have spent the time and committed themselves to an understanding of the culture, language, history, context Mm -hmm. uh, of the areas in which we are engaged. And so I do think that the Peace Corps is an extraordinary preparation for diplomacy. Um, And uh, yeah, I'd uh, uh, say even though, uh, and and maybe not not even though, but because I think there is a sense in this country now that we need to um, uh, strengthen a diplomatic muscle, and and by diplomatic muscle, I mean some of those qualities I'm talking that, that mm-hmm. become somewhat sidelined uh, uh, over the last few years. And I'm not talking only about you know the current administration. I think it's something that's been ongoing for some time. That uh, uh, I hope that people who brought uh, so we went into the Peace Corps, you know, for some of the reasons I've suggested, of uh, will will take that same kind of uh, commitment and and perspective into into diplomatic careers.
0: Well, thank you. Well, I've enjoyed spending some time with you, learning about your Peace Corps service, some of the work that you've done post-Peace Corps. For anybody who's interested in learning a little bit more about you and what you're currently doing now, leading the Korean uh, Economic Institute, where can they find out more information about that?
1: Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I am now uh, back in Washington, D.C. I've retired from the Foreign Service as of several years ago. And, uh, yes, I lead something called the Korea Economic Institute of America. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a website. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do podcasts, too. Uh, and uh, uh, so that's certainly a place to look for information uh, about Korea. Uh, I would also, I think, push our Friends of Korea group, which mm-hmm. has a website. Uh, uh, Korea, as far as I know, and you, you may be able to, to, to correct me if I'm wrong, Korea is the only country that has invited former volunteers back on expense-paid reunion trips for the last decade or so, there's another one going in, like I think next month uh, or wow. in the fall, and uh, and I saw a number of these groups come back while I was ambassador in Korea. Mm-hmm. So I would I would suggest people look at the Friends of Korea site. And you'll see mm-hmm. you'll you can hear uh, there's uh, uh, the Museum of uh, Contemporary. Uh, Korean History and Seoul, which also has a website, mm-hmm. has taken uh, oral histories of former Peace Corps volunteers in Korea along with much of our memorabilia and mm-hmm. those airgrams I talked about. Uh, the University of Southern California has, uh, uh, has digitalized a lot of Peace Corps volunteer Korea, uh, again, memorabilia and letters and journals. So, yeah, we're kind of proud of the fact that, yeah. that in a way we had yeah there was the Korean War, but we had this experience of korea uh some years later that uh is, you know is obviously meaningful for us, but is an important part of the history of korea mm-hmm. and uh and that's um, so so all those things we hung on to for all those years are finding a home somewhere else so Uh, But yes, anyone who wants to contact me uh, at at KEI uh, can uh, uh, find us online and uh, come to some of our programs if you're in Washington.
0: Yeah, and I'll include links in the show notes at com so everybody can find you. But it has been a pleasure uh, speaking with you today. Thank Thank you. you.
1: Thanks so much, and and thanks for this great project you're doing.
0: And there you have it, another episode of the My Peace Core Story podcast. All I have to say is, wow, what a career, which all started with the Peace Corps. If you enjoyed this episode, as I said at the beginning, be sure to connect with me on all those various places. But be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you get a new episode every single week when I release them. If you are a current or returned Peace Corps volunteer and want to tell your Peace Corps story, head on over to MyPeaceCorpsStory.com. Find one of those various buttons that are all over the place to share your story, share your service, reach out, let me know. I would love to have you on the show. It has been a pleasure. Until next time, remember, every volunteer has a story. What's yours?